Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 30, and you'll find it on page 931 in your Pew Bible. Just a very short prayer before that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, to understand the concept of Jesus at the head of his body, which is the church, and what that means to us as Christians. Amen. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they're all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, and God has placed one of, and God has placed in the church first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? This is the word of the Lord. Well, there's a, a series of books that my kids love. It's a 100 Things to Know About series. Uh, so uh, there's 100 Things to Know About Music uh, or 100 Things to Know About Space. Uh, the one I have with me today is 100 Things to Know About the Human Body. Now, at risk of um, offending all the doctors here, I'm going to tell you a bit about our human body. And if I get it wrong, don't blame me. Blame this book. Uh, do you know that an adult has 206 bones? Uh, and more than half of our bones are in our hands and feet. Do you know that our, uh, the nerve impulses that control our muscles go at 364 kilometers per hour? Uh, do you know that we grow a new liver every year? Oh, oh no, so every year, every single year. Yeah, that's right. Our body is made up of cells that are constantly dying, but in most parts, new ones grow in their place. We're like Wolverine without knowing it. So our taste buds are renewed every 10 days. Our red blood cells are renewed every four months. But unfortunately for me, there are some cells that replenish, even though I don't want them to replenish, like fat cells. Apparently, uh, uh, they take eight years to grow new ones, and for some reason, my fat cells get bigger and bigger. Our bodies are amazing, aren't they? 
So much so that our body does so so much of it autonomously, like breathing and blinking, digesting and falling asleep through a sermon. Uh, so much of our body does things automatically. In fact, our bodies consist of 10 networks of life support systems. We have the nervous and cardiovascular system, the skeletal mus- mas- uh, and muscular system, the endocrine and respiratory systems, digestive and immune systems, urinary and reproductive systems. And together, these 10 systems work together so that we can sleep and dream dreams. Uh, we can get out of bed and brush our teeth. Uh, that's a call out to the dentist. Uh, we can go to school and learn, go into the office and work. We can use our minds to solve complex engineering feats and hands to cut open a person with surgical precision. Some of us can even run marathons and some of us can even give birth to babies. We can sing songs and some of us, without even any effort, can sing out of tune. Our bodies are extraordinary. Our body is made up of many different parts. So many, in fact, that we're still, still discovering new parts. Uh, so a couple of years ago, a group of surgeons in Belgium made a surprising discovery. A new part of the body was found. Uh, so in 2013, when doctors used macroscopic dissection techniques, they were able to locate a ligament in the knee named the anterolateral ligament, the ALL. Now, we're familiar with the ACL, which uh, often gets uh, torn uh, due to sport. Uh, but this ALL, they've discovered, functions as a stabilizer for the internal rotation of the knee. So this ligament isn't an inconsequential body part. It's a really important ligament that we've only just discovered. And when we come to the Bible, we're told that the church is a body as well. More specifically, we're told that as a church, we're the body of Christ. And so just as I have a body and you have a body and we have many parts in our bodies, Jesus has a body as well. And his body has many parts. And we see this in today's passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've been learning about the doctrine of the church. In our first week, we saw how Jesus is building his church, and he does that through the preaching of his word. And so when the gospel is proclaimed, people repent, and put their faith in Jesus, then when they do that, they become part of the church, the body of Christ. Uh, last week we saw from John's first letter that the church is the fellowship we have with God vertically and each other horizontally. Vertically, we have fellowship with the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Horizontally, we have fellowship with one another as fellow believers. And in today's passage, we see John's expression of fellowship reiterated by Paul in a different way. Paul uses the analogy of the body. We're united to Christ and one another as a body by the Spirit. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 to 13. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit, that is, At the point of conversion, we're given the Holy Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we we were all given the one spirit to drink. So there's one body, the body of Christ. And as Christians, we're bound together as members of the body of Christ. 
because we've been baptized by the same Spirit. When we believed in the gospel and turned in repentance and faith, God gave us His Spirit who dwells in us and binds us to Him and each other. And because we belong together as the body of Christ, there are three things we need to understand about the body of Christ. The first is that Jesus is the head of the body of the uh, head of the body. Now, I have to confess, as a younger Christian, many years ago, when I read this passage, I, I thought that what this meant was that Jesus is this head, and he's a floating head. And then when he built his church, parts get attached to him. So we're the body from the neck down. We're the parts. He's the brain. He's the head. We're the body. Body parts. But in fact, I was completely wrong because what Paul means is that the whole body, every single part of the body, is Jesus' body. He's all of it, for his spirit dwells in every part of his body. That's you and me. So we see this in two of Paul's other letters. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul speaks about the supremacy of Christ, that he's God and has the authority of God in all of creation, including the church. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the boss. He's the CEO. He's in charge. Jesus is the head of the body, not physically the head, but the one who leads the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The other reference to the head of Christ uh, and the body of Christ is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. And in this context, it's about marriage, Christian marriage. And Paul uses the analogy that the husband is to love his wife as his own body, just as Christ, so the husband and wife's relationship is to be modeled on Christ and the church, just as Christ loved his body, the church, and gave himself up for her. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 tells us, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. So in these two passages, there's an emphasis on the leadership of Jesus, his power and authority in Colossians, and his love and sacrifice in Ephesians. In Colossians, Jesus is the head, and he has supremacy over all things, including the church. And in Ephesians, Jesus is the head because he is the saviour of the church. And so, just as we have fellowship with God and with one another, so we belong to Christ and to one another because we are in his body. We are part of his body. We are the church of Christ. Jesus is our head. For he is our Lord and our Saviour. The second thing we need to understand about the body of Christ is that there's unity in diversity. There's one body, but many parts. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 tells us, Even so, the body is not made of one part, but of many. And so because there's unity in diversity, there's unity because there's one body. There's diversity because there are many parts. Paul goes on to do two things with this understanding. The first is that he encourages those who feel like they don't belong to the body of Christ. Those who feel useless in the church. 
those who feel that they're not important and that they don't belong to the church of Jesus Christ. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you feel that you don't have anything to contribute or that you're an insignificant member or that if you're not even here, no one would even notice. Well, Paul has a word of encouragement for you. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 15. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It will not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It will not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? You see, every Christian, no matter how smart or educated you are, no matter how gifted or talented you are, no matter how extroverted or introverted you are, no matter how rich or, or beautiful you are, no matter whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, no matter who you think you are, you matter to God and you belong to the body of Christ. And your role, your, 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 your role as part of the body of Christ is, is extremely important as we'll see. In fact, your place in the church is exactly what God had designed you to be. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 18 to 20. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, that's you and me, just as he wanted them to be. You are exactly how God wants you to be in his body. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So do you know that uh, uh, there are tiny stones in your ears? In my ear, in your ear, they're called otoliths. Is that right? Otoliths. Am I pronouncing correctly? When we move, these stones push up and down, left and right. And their job is to help us balance. And when these otoliths fall out of place, we lose our balance. We might feel dizzy or nauseous. We might even get vertigo and feel very, very unwell. You might be an otolith in the body of Christ. You might be a tiny stone, obscure and hidden in our church. But maybe you're a faithful otolith. And you've been called to be a faithful otolith in a church, in our church. And you're, and what that means is that you're the one who brings balance to the church, not because of the force, but because of the way God has made you to be part of the church. And so maybe that means that you're great at leading and delegating. Maybe you're great in the work of the ministry, in sharing the load so that there's balance within the church, so that no one's overworked and underworked. No one's overburdened and underburdened. No one is doing too much and someone too little. But there is balance and that there is shared responsibility. Maybe you're really good at delegating and encouraging and training. Maybe you're the otolith in the church. You help to bring balance in the church. So friends, if you belong to Christ, you're part of his body, you're valuable. You matter to God, you matter to every other part of the body. Just as an otolith is so crucial to the functioning of our own bodies. But as a body, we're not just diverse, we're also interdependent. We need each other, which is the third point about the body of Christ. 
You see, if our unity and diversity encourages us that we all belong to the church, our interdependence guards us from the trap of conceit, from thinking that we're more important than someone else in the church, which is Paul's second encouragement here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body seem that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need to uh, need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. And so you might be a favola cell. Am I saying that right, Mark? Favola cell. These cells are found in the lining of the stomach. And they produce mucus like there's no tomorrow. You see, the acid in our stomach is so concentrated and deadly that without a barrier between the acid and the lining of our stomachs, our stomach will digest itself. It will eat itself up. And as a member of the body of Christ, you might be really important like a stomach is to the human body. One of the major organs. You can't live without a stomach and you might feel like the church can't live without me that I am so important, that the church should be so happy to have me, that I am so indispensable, that if without me, the the church would self-destruct and digest itself. Now, we're in danger of thinking of ourselves too highly like that, to become conceited and arrogant and proud, that we're more important than other people. We forget that we're interdependent that we need each other. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one part rejoices, we all rejoice. You see, we're not competing. We're a team. We're part of the same body. And so you might be a stomach in the church and you have a major role to play, but don't forget, without the favola cell, you will self-destruct. We need each other. We need each other. Now, as the body of Christ, we don't just exist. As a body, we don't just exist. We're to grow and mature. So when we were conceived, the first thing we grew was a bum. I didn't know this, but apparently our bum grows first before our brain was developed and our heart beat for the first time, before our eyes and ears were formed and our hand and legs grew, we grew a bum. That was the first thing. Now, if that was our whole body and all we're born with and when we came out of mother's womb was a bum, that'd be pretty sad and hopeless, wouldn't it? We'd be a gathering of bums, quite literally, here right now. And that's what we'd be, bums. But thankfully that's not the case because a a body is formed 
to grow, to mature, every part of it together into maturity. So a baby does tummy time to strengthen its neck, to, to strengthen its posture so that it can crawl and, and, and sit and walk and so forth. A baby does tummy time to, to mature, to grow, to learn to sit and crawl and walk. A toddler starts jumping and dancing and learns to balance on a bike and to say no to their parents. A child starts to read and write and learns to write really heartwarming cards to their dad. Well, I should clarify that only daughters do that. You see, our bodies aren't static. It's made to grow and become more and more able and more and more mature. And in a similar way, the body of Christ must grow as well. The body of Christ must also mature. Not by growing in independence, but growing in dependence in Christ. Not by being nourished by McDonald's, but by the Word of God. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4. So Paul writes that when Jesus died and rose and ascended into heaven, he gave gifts to the church. And notice that the gifts he gives are the people he gives. And the gifts of these people is the ministry of the word. So Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Notice that all those people are people who do the ministry of the word. And what do they do with the ministry of the word? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You, You see, to help a baby grow... You need to give them colostrum and milk. You need to train them and give them tummy time. But for the church to grow and the body of Christ to mature, we need to feed on the word of God and be equipped to serve the body of Christ. That's why the heart and sense of our gathering together week after week is the reading and preaching of the word of God. It's not the music or the experience of feeling a presence of God or the closeness to God. It's not the lights or the morning tea, but the word of God. Those things are good and important and helpful. That's how different parts of the body come together to serve one another. But they work together to draw our attention not to themselves, but to the Word of God and how we're to respond to the Word of God. And so, for example, EJ, our music director, he reads through the passage of of Scripture for that week. He considers the main point of the passage. He chooses songs to help us respond to that passage. You see, that's EJ exercising his gift of music, not only to help our church sing praises to God, but to respond to the word of God in song. Everything we do points us to feeding on the word of God so that the word of God might take root in our hearts. It's only when we do that that we can mature and grow up. Now, if the Word of God is our diet, what does it look like to be mature? What does it look like to be an adult Christian, a mature church? Well, Paul goes on in Ephesians, uh, and he points out two things. A mature church, a mature Christian in a mature church has unity and maturity. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, as a parent, when my kids were young, one of my priorities was that they must learn to swim. Being in Australia with great beaches and swimming pools, we need to make sure that they know how to swim so that they're safe around water. But it also opens up doors, doesn't it? If you know how to swim, then it opens up doors to snorkeling and scuba diving, water polo and, and diving and whatnot. But when I took one of them uh, to the pool for the first time, as water came into their eyes and they went into the water, they cried, they cried and they clung onto me. That's expected, isn't it? It's, it? it's adorable. We love it. But when I took one of my kids to the beach for the first time and I was carrying them to the beach, and as I was lowering them to the sand, what they did was gymnastics. They lifted their legs so that they would not touch the sand. They were terrified of the sand. They were terrified of the water. They would cry and they would want to be held onto and hugged. It's adorable when babies and toddlers do that. But if my kids now, if I take them to the pool and they start crying, if I... If I take them to the beach and they want to be carried, I think I'd be crying. You, you see, in a similar way, as a church, as the body of Christ, we need to grow in unity and maturity. We can't act like and be like and expect that it's okay to stay babies. A sign of maturity is being able to defend the gospel. Even when people in the church try to distort the gospel, a mature church and a mature Christian can defend the gospel can see heresy from a mile away and be able to guard the gospel and the gospel of truth. A sign of maturity, as a, as a mature Christian, as a mature church, is to be able to stand united. That when people within the church try to divide us, try to hurt us, try to make us fight against each other, a mature Christian, a mature church is one that will stand united and will not let people divide us. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. When people try to preach heresy, when people try to divide the church and hurt the body of Christ, a mature church will stand united on the firm foundation of the gospel. Come what may. Now as a body that feeds on God's word, that grows in maturity and unity, requires every single person in the body to play their part. As a body with our different gifts, with our strengths and weaknesses, where to exercise the gifts God's given us to build his church, to grow together in unity and maturity as we feed on his word. And we all do this by speaking the truth in love to one another. So Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now I have to say, speaking the truth in love is often easier to say than to do. 
It's harder than it sounds. So you might be chatting about work over morning tea and your fellow body part in this church tells you how, how work's going. And they, and they say to you, look, you know, it's fantastic. I work from home, this, you know, this hybrid model, and I, I actually don't do very much and my boss doesn't know. So it's fantastic. I'm so relaxed. I'm so free. I get all these things done. And so what might speaking the truth in love look like in this conversation with a fellow body part, with a fellow Christian? Well, speaking the truth in love might mean helping them to understand that ultimately their boss isn't their earthly boss, their manager, but Jesus, who is Lord of all. Maybe it's helping them to see in love the truth that as a Christian, you're an ambassador of Christ. You reflect Christ. Your attitude reflects your opinion of Christ. And so how you treat your boss is actually how you're treating Jesus. Or, or, or say you notice a person at church that, that doesn't know anyone. Maybe they're new to the church. Maybe they've come a few times, but they, they, they're still trying to find a church to settle in to. Maybe it's someone who is trying to work out who Jesus is and what this church is on about. And so what you do is you go and welcome them. You, you sit with them, you talk to them. You see, you're loving them with truth by living out the truth of the gospel, by showing how God welcomes the sinner and the stranger into his home. As speaking the truth in love might mean reminding someone of forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit to change us when they share with you their struggle with sin. Speaking the truth in love means bringing the gospel to bear on each other's lives, to help one another understand what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live out that faith and to repent when we don't. Speaking the truth in love is the body loving one another and not looking down on each other or judging each other. Speaking the truth in love is caring for each other, encouraging each other, and reminding each other of the gospel of grace so that we might grow in unity and maturity as the body of Christ. How are you speaking the truth in love? Do you know, this, uh, do you know that the tallest person who's ever lived was five times taller than the shortest man who's ever lived. The tallest man was Robert Wadlow from the United States. He was 2.72 meters high. That's almost a meter taller than me. And the shortest person was also a man. His name was Chandra from Nepal. He was only 54.6 centimeters tall. He's so, he was so short that some babies are born taller than him. You see, friends, our bodies come in all shapes and sizes. And in a similar way, the local church does too. The local church is the manifestation of the invisible, global church. And, it, and the local church comes in all shapes and sizes. Some are huge, while others are small. Some have multi-site services, while some only meet on the one side. And our church, as we rebuild the body of Christ here in Campbell South, is still relatively small. But don't let that make you think we're any less the body of Christ. 
Because we're not. Just as the shortest person is no less a person than the tallest person, so we are no less than the body of Christ than even a mega church. Indeed, we have <clears throat> excuse me, indeed we have everything we need to grow in maturity, in unity, but also in number. For we have the DNA of Christ. Just as a newly conceived person in their mother's womb is nothing more than a fertilized egg, yet he has all the DNA it needs, 3.2 billion chemical pairs, to grow and become a mature adult. And in a similar way as the body of Christ here in Campbell Cell, we have all the DNA we need to grow and become united and mature as the body of Christ. For we have the word of God and one another. We are different parts of the body, yet united as the body of Christ. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, who binds us together, for we are the body of Christ. So friends, let's speak the truth in love. Let's build one another up in unity and maturity until we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Amen.